0: Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What a beautiful
1: throw by the Baker! Victor! Hasta la vista, baby! Touchdown! Welcome in, Browns fans, to another episode of the OBR film breakdown midweek edition. I'm going to listen to this on Thursday. Maybe you get to it on the weekend. I'm telling you, I keep saying it. It's the oasis in terms of content. Weird time looking back, looking forward. Where do we go? The NFL is still happening, but we want to pay attention to the future of the Browns. I'm going to continue to try to bring on some some fun guests and I have a really, really good one here today. So many things we do at Blue Wire don't always catch everybody's attention in terms of who's putting in all the work and there's so many great people behind the scenes doing great things. I've had Andre Knott on this episode a couple times now, and Andre's fantastic in so many different endeavors, and he was great in Brownstown, and I really wanted to get another perspective on Brownstown, but also just have damn good conversation. And I'm bringing in Peter Moses, who's the VP of content at Blue Wire and is the is really the brains behind the Brownstown podcast operation. I'm not trying to sell Andre short here, Peter, but... You know, like someone's got to be doing the grinding behind the scenes for the pretty face in the front of this thing, right?
2: Yeah, we can't all have a voice for a face for radio like Andre, for sure. So um,
1: (laughs) that's the truth. Yeah,
2: whatever the dirty work is, myself and a couple other really awesome people at Blue Wire, we were uh, we were pumped to make that show, man. It was really uh, honestly uh, a love letter to the team that I grew up uh, and still love for better or worse.
1: I think it's important because I, I I'm like my nephews, for example, growing up browns fans, freshmen to be sophomores in high school, have no clue this stuff, right It's still lingering unfortunately, the browns of this year as an example, have not really buried it. they're still you know they had a great twenty twenty season, but there's still this shadow overhangs everything, and until they consistently win, tracking the failures of the twenty years prior to last year. Are important. And and I don't think enough people know the stories of what happened. Maybe they've heard the big names. Maybe they've heard about a thing or two. But the way you guys go, nice little 20 minute snippets on this whole thing, is that what you originally like visualized when you went to Kevin with this idea? Kevin Jones is the, you know, the owner, operator, CEO, big dog of Blue Wire Pods. And Kevin's worked in the Cleveland market, so he knows as he as he worked for the Browns for a good amount of time. So is this like you brought it to him and he's like, heck yeah, man, let's do it. Or did you guys have like a, a collab on the idea of the whole thing? Kevin and I've always bonded
2: about his time in Cleveland. I think anybody who spends any time in Cleveland has like a special relationship to it. It's Mm -hmm. an, it's an awesome city. The Browns are, you know, we all love them in spite of everything that they've done for us. I often think about like a, you know, like an inspirational poster or a therapist saying like, it's impossible for you to heal in the same environment that your trauma was created in. And I feel like that's, (laughs) the Browns experience, like I don't think any of us will be healed even if they win the Super Bowl. Anytime something goes wrong, we're always going to kind of rush back to the worst case scenario and feeling that way. And, you know, something that I wanted to do as Kevin and I talked about creating more original content from Blue Eyer is tell that story of what I think is an incredible experience about chronicling where that pain comes from. But how can you do it in a way and something that Dre and I talked about a lot is make it a love letter. You know, we all love this team in spite of everything that it does to us emotionally on a yearly basis. And if you can tell it in a way that's fun and compelling and makes you laugh so you don't have to cry, like I think that was really the goal was saying, you know, this is a team and this is a model of how you can tell stories about franchises all over the country that we were really interested in exploring and credit to. Harry Swardow, who's one of our producers at Blue Wire, who um, worked tirelessly on this show with myself and Dre, um, who really, you know, he's a Dolphins fan. So he was kind of the voice in the room who was like, guys, we can't do 45 minutes about Muhammad Masakoy. You like, or, (laughs) you know, like we we needed that perspective of someone else to say, like, listen, you're telling a larger story. And the best way to do it is to kind of break it up in those 20 minute chunks, because, Obviously, there's so many things and so many different, you know, heartbreaks that happen throughout these last 20 years and then subsequently 40 years before that, that um, it was nice to kind of just say like, this is something that you could put in a time capsule for, you know, my son now who's sleeping Mm -hmm. in the other room wearing a Nick Chubb onesie who's, you know, (laughs) less than a month old. But like, if I'm going to pass one thing on to him, I want to make sure I do it in a way a bit like to understand that pain that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, I think the, the the question I would ask is a follow-up to it, and I would hope everybody by now, if you're a listener of this podcast, you care enough about the Browns to, to backtrack and relive, because what it does is, to me, takes me back to where I was in life when these moments happen, and I think there's, totally. there's something to that, right? Like, picturing, oh yeah, I was in high school when this moment happened, or I was pretty young, I barely remember, you know, the Tim Couch years, or, or thing, things like that. I mean, I can be, I can remember I was in a, Uh, A small town Marion, Ohio TV appliance store called Rex when the when the New Orleans Hail Mary happened. Like I can just remember standing in this small town mall, which is now completely gone. I think there's like a bath and body works hanging on, keeping the structure alive. Uh, (laughs) And and like I can just remember when it was thriving, standing outside of this this TV uh, appliance store, which I think there were more appliances back then. Now it's, it's so long gone. Uh, and I just remember the Hail Mary and so many people in the mall yelling about this, this throw against the Saints. And, uh, you know, just as all these things take you back to all these different places, I would ask a couple things. I, I, I think for somebody who puts in all the work behind the scenes, you, you're talking about the editing. Uh, was there anything that was left out, a part of it that you really, really loved, a story part of it? Maybe like you're you're talking about Muhammad Masquar, or something that you wish you'd gotten a little bit more time, but you didn't get to it. You know,
2: I think the most incredible part for me was working with Dre, who just had obviously never done anything like this before and was just so willing to kind of jump head in and kind of do whatever we thought it was going to take. Because I think, you know, this is a form of, uh, you know, trying to tell the story of a team for 20 years that, you know, I haven't seen in podcast form before. So we were really trying to also figure it out as we go. And listening to or getting to go back and listen to, you know, Dre conducted probably close to 30 interviews with everyone Mm -hmm. that you hear. And those are hour long interviews where I think maybe at some point in the future or figuring out kind of how people can go back and listen to, you know, 40 minutes of Sean Smith or Jim Donovan talking about all this stuff in context or, you know, Dre just has such a natural disposition when he's getting people to open up. And I think, that is the one side of it that um, I feel very lucky that I got to experience. And maybe at some point we can get people to also hear just how Dre was able to kind of get at all of these answers and kind of all of this context from all these amazing people.
1: Yeah, I think that that's something that stood out to me instantly is how comfortable people seem to be with him. You know, I, I, I don't think that's a secret. I mean, I think Dre, as he took over for the Cavs doing sideline coverage there, that was it's as good as it gets and he could do whatever he wanted to do and i thought that stuff was really really impressive i i would ask too like when you're putting this together did you guys expect kind of closing this did you expect it to be done after this little run or do you guys have any anticipation of looking at uh you know previous editions of the team such as this year
2: we definitely have talked about episodes to come and i think the thing that we you know this is the hopeful browns fan i guess that was like charlie brown with the football of being like cool we can end it on a high note they're probably going to make the playoffs this year you know i put my i put my bets on baker winning mvp and them you know winning the north because i'm a sucker and we thought that would you know kind of all be well and good and i don't think we just anticipated the under you know the the grumblings of the dysfunction that was to come this year. So I think we'll probably maybe do another episode, but um you know I think it's not as easy as just kind of turning on the mics and getting people to talk about it. The scripting that went into this show um took a long time. We were I mean we worked on this show and worked fast as hell for almost 8 months. And just kind of the care that Harry uh John Yales um, Miriam Khan, Isabel Jocelyn, a bunch of people behind the scenes on the blue wire team who just kind of worked tirelessly noting it. Um, the, uh, Brian Decker who scored it, I thought did an incredible job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the music and the pace I think add so much to it. So I think if we do a bonus episode the music or two, is, it kind of- is
1: really phenomenal. I gotta say like I'm a huge, huge score fan, man. Like it can change the entire dynamic of a show or movie. And the score is just beautiful, man. It really is for what this was. Not a grand, you know, grand scheme here, but like it had to be right. The music had to be right, and it was. It was nailed. It was definitely
2: something we debated a lot too. That I think drove some people a little bit nuts in the minutia. But you know, did we want it to be too sad? Did it need to be faster? How could it kind of support Andre instead of overwhelm him? I think those are the things where you think about how the pain and suffering and the laughing and the timing all comes together. And I thought the score that Brian Decker created for it really just added to that perfectly. And it's just, um, yeah, I think doing something for this season, will definitely have something a bit of a postmortem, but also, you know, I think for anybody who listens to that show, it's such a nice button on 20 years. And if you're going to do, you know, another episode of Brownstown, like that's what this show is, man. You give us like a live Brownstown, every week, every day, there is, not, there is no shortage of, you know, Brown's content. And I think the one thing that Brownstown has an advantage of is it takes the 30,000 foot view, it gives you a little bit more perspective. And I think that's the thing that, I mean, obviously, in just the discourse of our country and the world, we're always missing. But I think especially as a Brown fan, it's exacerbated that, like, there's no time to like, stop and take a breath about how we feel about Baker. What's frustrating? What's going on with the play calling? Like everything is the biggest crisis at all times. So we're never able to have that kind of Brownstown bird's eye view.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
1: Yeah, I think that's that's very well put because you know when you're I think sometimes we can get sort of swept up because most of us are on Twitter or on some form of social and we think that the world is is everybody is doing it, right? Like you think the opinion of the Browns, at least people who follow the Browns is the same, you know, sort of you know, we we know the Browns are worldwide their fan base spreads very far. You think that that opinion is similar to the opinion that you read on social media. And that's an interesting sort of setup. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that the people are as tired or as upset or as bothered about the quarterback, the head coach, as maybe we see on social media, because those are people who want to put their opinion out there. That's where it's like, you know, you guys doing the, the high point view, it's, it's tough to get the, 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 the sort of interview questions you guys need. Uh, the the deep dive stuff, the things that make Brownstown really great. When the season just happened, and you have people whose lives are still impacted by this, right? You get somebody fifteen years removed from it, a little easier for the perspective angle to open up. You get I mean, somebody. My,
2: Go ahead. One of my favorite things about it was like listening to Tim Couch. You know the perspective, and I think also like Browns fans for the most part too are smart. They're really smart, and I think that you get put in the worst possible place of having to live in the middle of the conversation i can't imagine going through your own mentions or even when i go through your mentions seeing when you're posting things just how kind of toxic that can be because the, what the coolest thing i probably did on on brownstown was um i got to go back to cleveland and i interviewed all of those people that you hear at the beginning of the show um at the draft so i was running around um just catching people walking into the stadium on Friday night um, and just getting to talk to people, all different kinds of people, um, young kids, old people, people of different ethnicities, men, women. And I think that to me was kind of the antithesis of what you have to experience on a daily basis of like really getting to have human interaction with people and hearing about how much they love this team or how they broke their heart or why. And I think, it's just so easy. I mean, I've wanted Joe Woods fired four times this year. And i that's probably, I think he's probably did the best job of any coach on the whole team. Like there's no, um, I think it's so easy to get caught up in our emotions or wrapped up in what we're seeing on Twitter and just not be able to have that perspective. Like we all need like a 24-hour just like pillow to shout and tweet into to actually gather our thoughts before we say anything that we actually mean.
1: I think that what's what's happening here is, and you're right. There are some just, there are some people that are pretty gnarly on social about about every angle, and there are some people who are, are way off and different. As is the the realistic uh, way the world works right now, just completely different sides and backed into a corner. And I am like in the middle, you know. I write a piece on Baker Mayfield because you can't really spin his season very positively. I'm pointing out all the things that he has done wrong this year. But at the end, kind of trying to illuminate how he can move forward. What's his path? How does he fix it? And the outcome of the mentions is hilarious. How people are using it for one side or people are using it for the other. And it's like this this current structure of things, it's the 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 mentality of the fan base, Peter, where it's at. You know, you have... 18 terrible years, you really decide to rip the carpet out and say, let's just, instead of trying to patch the hole in the wall all the time, let's just, let's just bulldoze it, right? We're going to bulldoze it. We're going to try to rebuild it with a strong foundation. We're going to get everything right along the way. And then we're going to have a run here, you know? And I think everybody thought 2019 was going to be it. And the, the rug, you know, gets ripped out from fans there. The same thing sort of happens in 2021. And people are starting to question, where's the payoff for the ultimate bottoming out that happened? And to me, that is where the root of the frustration, at least on social. I'm not in Cleveland. I'm not walking the streets of the suburbs and talking to people, at, you know, basketball game. I don't really know what the boots on the ground are saying. I only have exposure to Twitter. I don't do any other social media platform. It's not for me. Don't really care for him. I do Twitter because it links me into the people who like the show I do and the content. Right, you would so probably like,
2: crush on TikTok though. <laughs>
1: I have no idea how to use it. I, maybe someday, <laughs> but for I, I see like some film-based breakdowns happening more and more I, on I, on TikTok. I
2: listen. We'll, let's get you an intern because I think if you were on TikTok, that might really uh, that it's also. You know, I don't have TikTok, but my wife loves TikTok, so I just kind of get all these TikToks sent to me, and maybe that's the best way we should all experience social media. It's yes. just like. Have someone filter it out for you. Yeah. Um, but I, I I do think the thing is, to your point though, like it's a game of inches. Like it it's like we're Anthony Schwartz finishing his route away from Baker not having a bum shoulder. Like we're three, you know, awful uh pass interference calls away or non-calls away. I was at the the Chargers game, uh in LA and just like, you know, from, from being in the playoffs, like really it was just one or two games. That's really it. So it's so hard not to live in this like doom or gloom, but like um, you have to be able to figure out how to find that perspective. And you just have no chance. You're, you're screwed because you're just in the line of fire, no matter what you do, because you are, uh, <laughs> you are a mirror for all of our emotions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with one of you and then I'll probably agree with that other person the next day. Because like any endeavor, the the truth is somewhere in the middle and people don't want to find themselves in the middle. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of modern politics and modern world thought where you're either on one side or the other and you can't have the nuance of understanding that it could be this, but also that. Right. That's the problem. I will say we're, you know, to, to, to kind of wrap it up today, like Baker's video he posted. You know, you can really read into that if you want to. You can get into, like, he didn't say anything to Cleveland fans, didn't say anything for the organization. You know, you can really get into that. I'm not going to do it. I, I don't think it's worth our time or breath. But, like, I do think that Baker Mayfield is very online, right? Like, he is, he is a very online presence. And the thing I'll say is it certainly looked like, and I know he's just out of surgery. I get it. But the, even the way the words were phrased, this year really wore him down. Right. So maybe there's a plain dealer study out there that says 77 percent of people want him back. My question is like to you, does Baker even know those things? It feels like he's so online in the negativity that the that the that the Instagram and the Twitter world and the in the in the talk shows. Is this situation salvageable from him for him mentally? That's where I start to feel like I'm worried that he is sort of burnt out on Cleveland right? Like I, that's a part of it. You can talk about the physical stuff. I broke it down. I've watched more snaps of this guy than I think anybody in Cleveland that doesn't coach for the Cleveland Browns. I've watched way too much. Can it be fixed? I think it can. The mental stuff's where I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. And I, and I wonder your perspective on it of not, not the mental side of, Hey, there's a Mike linebacker blitzing. I need to throw this four yard square in to replace the blitz. I'm talking, which that was a problem, but I'm talking about like the pressure of all of this becoming too much and him not being able to just wash off negativity and keep his eye on the big picture. Do you get that vibe too? Or I'm not sure. I'm just not sure about it. I don't know that the, does he have the mental fortitude to to brush off some of the negativity that's very online in a space that he lives?
2: The thing that's crazy to me about it is like he could hear what I, some random nobody has to say and take offense to it. And to me, if that's the stuff that's getting to you, you've already lost the the plot. Like, the fact that he takes, you know, whatever uh, gripes with Tony Grossi and pushes them on everybody else and gets upset at Mary Kay, uh, you know, or there's just so many warning signs of, like, why are you running off the field and not shaking hands after the Lions game? Like, the things you're tweeting. Like, there's so much stuff for someone who kind of cries about changing the culture. You just, like, like you're not playing well enough to kind of be worth the juice is not worth the squeeze at this point. And I'm with you too. Like we saw what it looks like when everything goes right. And that was great. But this year, everything didn't go right. And it looked like it almost broke him emotionally. You go back and think about the season with Hugh Jackson or the rough season with Freddie. Like when things don't go well with Baker, he can't, really stomach it that well and I I tend to think you know I don't think Stefanski doesn't become became a bad coach in a year and you look at all the you know a lot of the things that you put out as well as other people who watch the film and like there were just so many open receivers so many open receivers and so many times where scheme is working and at the end of the day I think Browns fans I understand Baker's polarizing and people got a taste of like a quarterback that they believe in who will stand up to Colin Coward and win the you know win, win the 24-hour news cycle but like mm-hmm. I mean man watching Herbert in that last game like I like w- Baker's had every opportunity to be an adult on in the last two minutes of a fourth quarter and it's just never shown that he's had the ability to do so and like I thought, you know, after his first year that loss to the Ravens, we were like, okay, he's going to get better. He's going to learn. He's going to take that next step. And it just hasn't happened yet. That's just facts. That's not like being mean or disliking him. And yes, he could still lead us to a great playoff run, but I don't think you're paying him. You know, I love what you said about kind of like a mid-level contract, but I would much rather – I think people get desperate in this league. And if there's an ability, he said all this, I thought what he said in that video is very much the same thing of what Andrew Barry said in his press conference. Everyone's saying exactly the right things and keeping their options open in case they all have to come back and run it, run it back one more time. But you bet they're taking calls and thinking about that. I mean, I just, I don't, like being a Browns fan is already traumatic. I don't want to have to like go on Emily Mayfield's social media to like follow the team. It's already exhausting. I don't have enough time. Get
0: ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
1: Yeah, I don't know where this ends. I don't, I don't know if it—the it, it, thing that stinks to think about is even if it does end— in whatever fashion it does, it's like you're always gonna be connected to Baker Mayfield. You're always gonna be looking at you know imagine he goes to a place and has a couple nice games, and there's just gonna be this uproar you know you think there's uproar about Odell Beckham having a nice game or two with the Rams. Imagine if you know Baker goes to New Orleans and has a couple nice games you know the the uproar that people will have about. About all of that. We'll see. I don't know, man. I, I, there's so much big picture stuff with Baker that I just don't know where it's going. Um, the actions continue to be what's most important. They'll, they'll give us the answer for what everybody's been. We all look at quotes and we all try to guess. We all know. We all know if what they're thinking. you get a
2: first round pick, though, for Carson Wentz after what he put up in Philadelphia, somebody out there is going to convince themselves that Cleveland is the problem and Baker just needs a new opportunity. So I don't think there's going to be
1: or is there someone saying, well, look what happened with Carson Wentz. We can't really do, you know, I don't know. There could be some of that, too, where what happened with Carson and Indy, where they want to get there. You know, there's a lot of people that don't even think he's going to be their guy next year. I think you're right. Should based on some recent trades, should there be an ability to move him for somebody? Yeah, I think there should. But is is it going to come to fruition the same way Carson's did in in a tight cap year? I don't know. It's it's really interesting to to look at the trade side and you know like the I'm sure you saw Peter yesterday the Jeremy Fowler quote um about about an NFC exec which honestly sounded so much like John Dorsey. I'm not I'm not really certain it wasn't John Dorsey, but uh yeah, hey, he's got he's got
2: to keep he, his value up.
1: He does. He does, man. There there could be someone out or he could come back. It could the data is very much not in his favor. But he could come back and figure it out. I don't know. I'm not here to be like doom and gloom with Baker. I just know when you really look at everything that's happened, like you've said, what are you holding on to as a means to tell you he's going to figure this all out? Not he's healthy and he played and he's 20 touchdowns, 10 interception season in 2022. I mean, like what's going to what's going to move Baker from being his best version of himself, which is kirk cousins light to being ever in a phase in which he carries the organization so short, while we all we, kirk
2: cousins i guess
1: yeah well yeah exactly well like while we all argue about it seems to me that the majority of the conversation this offseason is built around i don't it's not even people saying baker's good or bad anymore even the people who are against are saying well he's bad but is he worse than these other guys you want to replace him with that's the conversation right Ooh, like there's there's he- not.
2: Go ahead. Let me ask you a question though, because you watch all the tape. And I think to me, something that really stuck out was the conversation that was happening in July and last off season compared to now where all of a sudden, you know, I know OBJ left, but it was like the way people talked about our receiver talent was so like we had no talent. We had no, like our wide receiver room was trash. And to me, some of that has to go back to Baker because OBJ has like, you know, six touchdowns in the last month by himself and Jarvis was hurt, but Jarvis was still a productive quarterback or a productive receiver. I don't know what Rashard Higgins does on a weekly basis at practice to have every coaching staff never want him to sniff the field, but like, was it really like what, what was true? Was the conversation that our receiver room was stacked in the off season true or the fact that now we're going to definitely be drafting you know, a wide out in the first round and our wide receiver room is barren. And also like, where does Baker play into that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I I, I think everybody certainly thought Odell could come back and they could figure it out. That was a huge part of it. But they also saw Rashard Higgins be a nice contributor. Jarvis had one of his better years in Cleveland. You saw Donovan Peoples-Jones take some many strides and it's like, okay, what do they need? They need somebody who can really run. If they get somebody that can really run, push the vertical part of the field, and then they add in a healthy Odell... This is a good enough wide receiver group. Well, then you go out this year. The Odell thing is terrible, falls apart Uh more, you know, about an 80-20 split, more Mayfield issues than Odell issues, in my opinion. And that falls apart. Jarvis is hurt. So you're down those two. Anthony Schwartz, still a little too young to uh, to do a lot of the things you want him to do. Donovan Peoples-Jones is taking some strides, but not quite good enough yet. And Richard Higgins just falls off the face of the earth. You get bad quarterback play on top of it, and it all just sort of, Elevates the crisis right like I think we were all comfortable with the wide Receiver room coming into this year but when injuries happen a trade happens Your young guys don't really dominate the way you're hoping that young guys Can come in and figure it out quickly then you start telling yourself you need More and more and the quarterback plays not elevating anybody so again we Need more I do think they need to address wide receiver partly because I Think the top two guys are going to be gone but like that's definitely an Element of what they need to improve but Baker has to improve with it because, I, you know, it's well documented by myself that there just were guys open all the time. I thought there were guys open pretty consistently and they need And, and the data supports it. I think Pro Football Focus had them as the, you know, the, the, the second or third team in percentage of plays with three plus wide receivers deemed open by their coverage standard. So it's not like I'm making it up, man. It's really not. So they need to get better at the skill positions, need to get better at quarterback. We'll see what shakes out. I don't, I don't mean to, here I am. I I talk at the beginning of the week about, I'm not going to talk about Baker much. I'm 15 minutes in with you on Baker. Like (laughs) I, I, the thing I was concerned most with Peter is, is the mental side and whether he can handle the adversity that comes with this. Like that's, that's my concern. Is he a guy who can shut out everything around him and just focus on healing, getting better mentally, getting better as a quarterback, mentally getting better as a quarterback in the lower portions of his, of his, uh, of his body while he gets his shoulder right. Right. Can he go through the grind of mechanically kind of switching up how he does some things that I don't know. I, that it's a huge part of it. A huge part of him getting right for next year is being able to block the noise. Does he have the ability to block the noise? I don't know if he has that ability seems to have never been able to do that. Right. And I think the thing
2: that's looming over all of that is no, he thrives in the noise, which is problematic when you can't see over TJ watt. Um, but like, You know, the biggest thing too, I think, that hangs over us, not Baker as much, a little bit him because it's his money to make or lose, but it's time. Are we like, (laughs) we're all a year older. We're all a year more jaded. Are we really going to do this for another year and have this cloud of Baker and that decision hang over us again to be here again a year from now? And what does that mean to us emotionally that's where it comes back to brownstown is like what is the toll that this takes on us like you know by december you're sick of it you're sick of it like okay i'm gonna go christmas tree shopping instead you know what i'm gonna listen to it on the on the radio and like just like you know take care of like plow my driveway or whatever it is to not put yourself through some of that pain or at least that's kind of how i feel at times where it just wears you down and if you think about you know you play the chess of this out and you say okay Baker's going to do what he's going to do, and I don't think there's anything that's going to happen next year, even if he comes back and has the career year for him. It's not going to change who he is or how he responds to things, Mm -hmm. and we're just going to be here again, and I think that's the thing that hurts everybody from both sides of this argument. People who want him to be signed just don't want to have to address this again and again. And people like myself who wouldn't mind exploring other options, like I'd rather rip the Band-Aid off now. I'd rather have the, like, I'll take the, the pain now to just get to closer to where we all want to go.
1: I think, I think you're right about the people who are deflecting, the people who are saying this quarterback, how do you know this quarterback will be better? This other option can not entertain it. Bakers maybe be better. They don't want to do it right at the back of their mind. They don't want to go through the quarterback stuff again. And you're holding out. And again, I don't either, right? I I don't either. It's not a dream scenario for someone covering film of your, of your football team to be, to be talking about whether the quarterback that you thought was a savior uh, could potentially be the failure uh, of the whole redesign here. So uh, not, not fun at all. This was a blast though. This pod, this coverage, this angle Brownstown coverage, man, it's been great. Peter, tell everybody where they can find you on, on social and maybe anything else you guys got in the works uh, in the, in the foreseeable future with blue wire.
2: Yeah. uh, We'll definitely check out Brownstown anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, You can find me rambling crazy things about the Browns uh, and the Cavs and the guardians uh, at danger Moses on Twitter and everything else that we've got coming out. I would say the rumor is something that people should definitely check out came out on blue wire a couple months ago, um, which is a kind of true crime podcast about a salacious rumor involving Cal Ripken in the nineties. And uh, we've got some more stuff coming out this year that we're pretty excited about.
1: Yeah. rumors really fun. Really, really interesting. Something most people in the country had no clue happened, but it's really fun. If you, if you uh, invest your time in, in, in listening to that really good, a similar structure to uh, the uh, setup from, from Brownstown and all of that. So very enjoyable, Peter. Thank you. Uh, thank you again. I know everybody listening to this episode really enjoyed your perspectives.
2: Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for doing all the uh, all the dirty work, so people like me can just, um, you know, get all the stuff we need and form all of our totally unrational and unjustified opinions on the backs of your uh, your hard film study.
1: <laughs> my my pleasure. That's what we're really about here is giving people uh, an angle one way or the other, you know, to to yell at other people. That's really the root of this podcast. So. <laughs> Thanks again, my friend.
2: Hey, it's working well for me. Thanks, Jake. Take care, man. <laughs>
1: All right, guys, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thanks for listening. A huge, huge thanks to uh, to uh Peter for joining today's show, taking the time to give us insights on Brownstown and his fandom and, and all of that. I, I I just love I love other perspectives on the Browns, people maybe that are not uh normal on this podcast. I want to have Peter on more often, Andre on more often. I think we're going to try to do that. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun stuff coming up in the offseason, too. I'll keep enlightening you guys as we go today. Make sure you check out. I did a roster quality piece that is going to be up on the on the OBR today it's a really fun study that I've done pretty much every year uh, except for last year but I did it dating back to my time with WFNY it's, it's a really fun way to look at the talent and skill on the Browns roster so check that out how it pertains into our sort of rules into next year and, and so on and so forth checks uh, it's, it should be more fun than the exercises I did in 2017 18 and 19 so take that for what it's worth uh, check that out thanks for joining today have a great Thursday and we close with our usual Bill Browns